All right. Well, this is uh, is the very first episode of Battery Operated Podcast, or BOP for short, BOP, B-O-P, Battery Operated Podcast. My name is Jonathan Edwards. I'm the make-believe host, and George? My name is George Edwards. <laughs> I am not the host. My name is George Edwards. I am a freelance writer. And uh, I like technology. Fair enough. Well, I'm sure they'll learn more about us in the in the podcast. Yeah, that was a really crappy intro. Let's go with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you prepare some hook to get people? Wanted to hear more? Um, not really. I just, uh, just did the preparation with you, and I've been, uh, spending all day looking at tons and tons and tons of articles about how to start your own podcast. Um, but I guess start talking about Apple, Apple Watch? The Apple Watch first, yeah, then we can talk about Tesla, the Vault, Elio. All that kind of good stuff. Got a lot of things to talk about. And uh, what do we have? Like a topic list of like almost 50 items for future podcasts already. It's just like every time I start thinking about it, there's a million more things to talk about. Yeah. So are you planning on getting the Apple Watch? Am I planning on getting it? I know by the time you have to get it you need an iphone 5 or above yeah right now i still have the iphone 4s which i like the phone it does everything i really need to do i mean i don't play games and uh the only thing i really like better about the iphone 6 is the camera and it's so freaking fast so yeah i'll be uh, i'm gonna skip the 5 and 5s and go right to the 6 yeah um so, yeah, I'll probably have that before the Apple Watch comes out, if not relatively soon after that. But my my answer to that really is uh, maybe. I, I don't think I'm going to buy it. But I think uh, the sports watch might be worth getting if it's cheaper. I mean, significantly. Well, they already announced the price. The The actual price of the first watch is $349.99 or $350. I, I don't know if they, they do that thing. Okay, that's for, like, a base model. Yeah, and that's the only one you get. Uh, the base model, and let me see. I'll look at, go to Apple's website real quick, and I'll look at it. But the base model for the, wa- for the watch is the aluminum one, and they're using some kind of hardcore, lightweight aluminum. Um, and, and then the, the glass is INX glass instead yeah. of the... The uh, scratch-resistant sapphire crystal. Yeah, well, I, I could be wrong, but I think the glass is exactly the same on the sports watch as the iPhone 6. That's what I was thinking, but I didn't go in and look at the iPhone 6 specs. It's an alumino, aluminosilicate glass, especially resistant to scratches and impact, fortified at the molecular level, 
through an ion exchange with smaller ions being replaced by larger ones to create a surface layer far tougher than ordinary glass. And of course they market it as more lightweight than the, uh, because you have a sporty watch. They're going to prop it up as uh, lightweight. But yeah. I didn't see if it had a retina display, like where they brag about the retina display in the stainless steel in the edition. They didn't say much about retina display in the regular. Um, they, they all have the same display. So if, if one of them if one of them says that they have the retina display, then all of them do. Okay, and yeah. the only other difference or nuance I noticed between the edition and the stainless steel versions of the iWatch or uh, Apple Watch is one said polished, and the other said scratch resistant. But I'm thinking they're just using different words to market differently. Well, the the edition since it's made out of like premium metals like like gold and well really gold apple's own like special gold that's supposed to be harder than real regular gold uh it is like you could look at a you you could look at the difference between the two of them and and see that one's almost a matte finish and the gold ones are definitely polished and really super shiny cool and what do you think the prices for the stainless steel in addition are going to be? <laughs> I don't know. I think the addition is going to be like out of my price range for sure. Uh, I've heard that the gold one's going to, at the very least, the the most conservative estimate I've seen is like two thousand dollars. But that's crazy. I don't I don't think they're going to sell a solid gold watch for two thousand dollars. I think we're looking at like ten grand to start well yeah i think uh that one uh daring fireball piece on it did say i mean he predicted up to like twenty thousand dollars which is comparable to a rolex the problem though well maybe you have an electric to a stainless steel rolex oh a stainless steel rolex i thought that was more around five thousand to ten thousand you know, I could be could be wrong. Yeah, I'd have to look at Rolex prices, but I think the uh, the gold one is uh, the addition, and the the gold I Apple Watch is supposed to be somewhere around twenty k, according to him, and uh, talking to some guy in the watch market. So, but the the problem between a Rolex and an Apple Watch is one can literally last forever and the yeah. other unless they make an easily replaceable battery can't yeah well um i i think that the that the stainless one we i mean we know that the sport's going to be 350 um for the entry level rubber you know the rubber wristband and and we are whatever kind of polymer. I, I'm sure they don't want to say rubber, but uh, and uh, it, they're saying that the stainless steel could, or John Gruber is saying that the stainless steel could probably be anywhere from seven hundred and fifty dollars to in the thousands, depending on you know what combination you get. Um, 
And me personally, if I were to get one, it would be I get the sport. I get the sport and space gray, and then I would spend, you know, what I, hopefully the stainless steel uh, band would be relatively inexpensive. Like, and by inexpensive, it, it, they talk about like each band takes like ten or fifteen hours to make. Um, you're probably still talking about four or five hundred dollars just for the band. That's where I would spend my money. I would get that stainless steel band with the sports watch. And I think I'd get away with fooling people into thinking I got the, the, the stainless steel watch too. Yeah. If that makes any sense. No. Yeah. That makes total sense. So do you think it's possible for an addition watch to go up to $20,000? Oh Yeah. Because think about it, they're making these things out of solid gold. You know, Apple's made it very clear that it's not just gold-plated. The watch is made out of gold. So they're, they haven't shown it or advertised or even talked about it, but I guarantee that they're going to have a watch band made out of the same gold. So if you think if they're charging 10, 10 grand for the gold watch... Well, arguably, the the band is going to have a lot more gold in in it. So you're, I wouldn't be surprised to see a twenty five thousand, thirty thousand dollar Apple Watch. Yeah, not only that, but they seem to be developing a new process for making this gold, which makes it harder. Uh, so that has an advantage over Rolex. Because I'm not sure if Rolex develops new metals every time they make a new watch, but uh, Apple certainly develops new. I'm, I'm not all into metallurgy or anything, but like new uh, polymers or I forget what they call it. The the metal, the even the aluminum is, is like brand new. So the gold too. It's a, it's a different kind of gold. It's not your regular gold. Yeah. And I mean, it's just apparently maybe the best kind of kind of gold, still 14 karat or whatever, but they have a process for uh, having it keep its shape the way it is. Yeah, well, even when, you know, Apple has a history of, you know, make, taking, like, cutting-edge processes and making it their own and being, you know, that, that's one of the supply chain things that Tim Cook really developed. Um, but uh, with Apple, they, like, for example, the when they came out with the Unibody MacBook Pro, um, it was huge because they literally took a solid block of aluminum, or as Johnny Ive would call it, aluminium, um, and they developed this milling process where they just carved the computer out of a solid block of aluminum instead of bolting together a bunch of, you know, t- you know, the top layer, the bottom, the middle, the mid-frame, all that kind of stuff. It was just one solid piece. And they use that in the iPhones now, the iPhone 5, 5, 5S, and now the 6 and 6 Plus. But uh, um, Apple has a history of doing stuff like that. And they went ahead and last I last I, uh, I was really reading about it, they bought like over 10,000 machines for their manufacturer in Shenzhen. But Do you think that both the sports watch and the stainless steel and edition watches will have uh, the perks of the force touch display? 
I don't think there's going to be any feature differentiation whatsoever. Every watch is going to do the exact same thing. And have you seen Pebble Watch, and do you think that's going to be a big competitor? Yeah, Pebble's pretty good. Um, a lot of people like Pebble. I, I don't think that it's going to be a direct competitor, really. I mean, maybe with the new watch that they just came out with, they're, they're going to be doing a little bit here and there. But um, With their battery lasting a week and their display being e-ink rather than, you know, lit up. Yeah, but you can't. There's no health. There's no health and fitness benefits to the Pebble Watch, or at least very limited. And there's, I mean, you're you're looking at a watch that's basically a glorified, you know, a glorified notification center. You can't even respond to, you know, like if you get a text message, you can't respond to it. You just see that you got yeah. it and maybe read it. Versus, you know, the Apple Watch has Siri built in, so you could dictate messages, send all kinds of fancy stuff like. You know, I could send Paulette my my heartbeat if I wanted to. Uh, I mean, kind of cheesy, but really cool. <laughs> but uh, the Pebble Watch is really neat. Um, I think there's a, I mean, there's obviously a market for it. They've been doing it forever. But, uh, I mean, they just... Is, I think they recently made the news for being the fastest Kickstarter ever to ma- raise $1 million. Oh wow the the Pebble Watch Kickstarter's at seven million dollars now and it still has thirty days to go. That's crazy. Seven million one hundred thousand. Oh, one hundred and two thousand now. As I was watching. Wow, that's like uh, that's that's pre-orders, isn't it? Because I'm sure they're not getting little donations. They're probably getting whole pre-orders. Yeah. Oh wow, I didn't realize this. It is. It's color e-paper, e-ink. Oh, yeah, that's what I was thinking would be fantastic. I thought they were going to make a Kindle with color ink. That would have been cool. Yeah, me too. I wonder if that takes it, because I was reading into that technology, because I love Kindle, especially the paper ink, because it's really easy on your eyes at nighttime. It doesn't give you, you know, it doesn't stimulate your serotonin when you're looking at a backlit screen. And... Those are the health benefits, I would say. The health benefit of not looking at uh, blue light after dark. Yeah, well, you but, can read I it mean, anywhere. it doesn't have the health tracking, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, you can read it anywhere. You get, and like, how many times do you, do you go to read something? Like, you want to read a book, but you don't want to do it in your house in the shade. Or you don't want to, you know, it's just not appropriate lighting situations for your phone. Like, you know, outside next to the pool or on the beach or even in your yard or on your back porch or anywhere, you know, you want to read a book and, you know, granted, the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus, they're great for reading on. But if you get even a little bit of sunlight, you don't want to spend a lot of time reading. And, you know, it's just like reading a paperback novel. Ink is awesome. And I think that's one of the huge benefits to the Pebble. Like, like what is Apple going to do about... Or even even Android Wear and stuff like that. What are they going to do about reading, you know, being able to actually view your your smartwatch outdoors in the sunlight or while you're jogging? That's that's mainly outdoors. One of their biggest. Well, um, I heard that it might be an OLED display. I don't know if, if new information's come out if it's going to be OLED or not, rather than a backlit display. Well, their their OLED is backlit, but it's. Well, oh, is it? I don't know. 
Um, I don't know. Apple's always been kind of not big fans of OLED. I was reading something about about what they wanted to do, or I don't know. Whatever whatever screen technology they're using, apparently it's uh, on the Apple Watch. It's battery saving to the point where if there's a black portion of the display, like let's say you're reading white text on top of black, hypothetically, well, the only part of the screen that's actually active is the white text, and everything else is just the screen's off. Those pixels are turned off. Um, uh-huh. So they'd, they'd have to use something similar to OLED at the very least because that would give you the deeper blacks. Uh, I'd have to really look into that a little bit more. I'm not... Somebody, somebody listening is gonna gonna make fun of me. We'll get emails about that. So Apple was sued a while back because they had a non-poach agreement, and recently Apple is being sued by A one two three for poaching employees. Oh yeah, it, it's one of those. It's one of those weird things. They, um, I've read a little bit about the history of that. Um, Apple is being sued, one, for even having the no-poach agreement, and two, they're being sued for violating it. So it's uh, it's a little over my head. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I just thought that was ironic, but if I guess if it's a company they made the agreement with, and then they disregarded the agreement, maybe there's a legal basis, I don't know. I think they have no poach agreements between like Apple and Amazon and Google. And I was, I was listening to something about like really Amazon and Google employees and Apple employees. I mean, they're, they're not really all that compatible to begin with. Yeah. Um, generally Apple. Well, Apple, Apple is currently poaching engineers from Tesla Offering $250,000 bonuses for them to jump ship for, apparently, Apple Car. Now, here's the thing. Tesla from... See, I I don't read too much into it. I mean, Wall Street Journal made a big big deal about that. But, uh, and a lot of tech news has, you know, has made a lot of speculation about that. But I, I don't read too much into that just because... If you think about it, Tesla is more of a battery company than they are a car company. Um, uh-huh. And the number one thing, and first of all, Apple has CarPlay and and their features in cars and stuff like that. And, you know, of course, they have maps and a lot of stuff. They're trying to break into the automotive industry in a not, I want to build a car kind of way. But uh, the number one issue with smartphones is, well, you can name it, batteries. So yeah. if, if they're poaching Tesla employees, I, I might not look f- further than they just want to improve their battery technology. Yep. That's, I agree with that. Uh, also, Tesla has poached a lot of employees from Apple. Yeah, well, that's just smart. <laughs> <laughs> Look no further. I mean, look look at some of the best companies that are coming out right now. I mean, Pebble. I believe Pebble is even a former Apple employee. Uh, I know so many of these things. Uh, 
Nest, if you know anything about the Nest uh, thermostat, that was an, a former Apple employee. Um, apparently, people at Apple get over get overworked so much that quitting and starting your own company is actually a break. <laughs> a startup. Yeah. We're in a startup. You work a hundred to one hundred and twenty hours a week. Yes. <laughs> we should make we should make a note in the next podcast to talk about that article about Johnny Ive. Uh, I think it was uh-huh. Wall Street Journal that. Uh, I could be wrong about that. I'll look it up. But uh, they just did this huge seventeen thousand word article about Johnny Ive, and uh-huh. uh, he said his design crew works like six or seven days a week, twelve hours a day. Like that's that's just what they do. That's interesting. You think if they had a few days off, they could you know rejuvenate their creativity. Yeah. Maybe the single day off is rejuvenation enough. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they love their job where so much that, you know, going to work is... See, I would love to. I would love to love my job that much. Yeah. Where going to work is a break from real life. It's crazy how little Tesla engineers get paid. Um I've heard it. It's like less than one hundred twenty thousand, or it's it's up to one hundred twenty thousand. I'm sure there's some high, like uh, better paid engineers, but you know, I used to work at Menards, a hardware store, and their store managers often get paid one hundred thirty-five to one hundred forty thousand a year. Their assistant managers almost a hundred thousand. Yeah, that's bizarre. I wonder if they have like. Because Tesla is such a new company, if they have a lot of stock options, you know, a lot of those things that startup companies do in order to entice people when they don't have a lot of a huge cash flow. That's true. It could be. And discounts on Tesla cars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, with the Apple Watch, um, I think you talked about it before, about lasting long. But... uh the big difference, and Apple's going to have to say something about this soon. They're, I mean, I'm sure they're going to in April. They're going to come out with an event, and they're going to talk more about it. But uh, with the addition, like when Apple first announced this watch, I really wanted to buy Paulette. You know, Paulette's my wife. I wanted to buy her the gold one, and like she she loves she loves rose gold, and they don't have it. Uh, and I didn't see them announce any rose gold one, but I really wanted. I thought it would be great to buy her a gold one. Um, and as a, as a gift that'll last a lifetime, spending $10,000 is, you know, save up for a couple of years, spend $10,000, give her a gift that she'll love for the rest of her life, and you're good to go. Uh, but it's a watch, which is like one of those lifetime hand down to your kids things. But it's yeah. also a computer not really a computer, more like a tiny cell phone. I don't know how to describe it other than it's a computing device. And there's no way I'd be able to buy an addition watch um, and hand it down to my kid. Like, he's two years old. When he, when he becomes, like, when he's, like, 30 years old or, let's say, he graduates from high school, I can't give him the first-generation Apple Watch as a graduation gift, as, like, a family heirloom. Yeah, that's that's why I think the price point of twenty thousand 
dollars might be too high. But even, I could be wrong, but the gold's not worth it that much, not nearly. Well, they say the gold is the gold itself is worth like for what, like the forty-eight millimeter Apple Watch or forty-two millimeter. They say the gold itself is probably going to be like twenty-eight hundred dollars worth of gold. And but then you have to think like there's also the watch band, the technology put into it, the screen, all that kind of stuff. So. Um, and they've, they've got to have a reasonable markup. So you're looking at, you know, at least $4,500, $5,000 for a piece of technology that's not going to be very useful in three years. Yeah. So, one, are they crazy to make, a, like, to try to compete with Rolex and make a, a watch? Or do they have some kind of crazy upgradability program like where you trade in your old watch or maybe the internal components are removable and you know like replaceable by the manufacturer um yeah maybe you know like a thousand dollar upgrade fee i don't know (laughs) something like that and you can just take it to the apple store and they can either you know change your battery probably not for a thousand dollars for that but or change the whole internal components yeah, well, that's what I was thinking. Like, I was I was thinking about the, and not recently, but when they first announced it, I was thinking about the upgradability of it. And, like, what do you think? Like, uh, let's say, here here's my hypothetical. Let's say I buy the first-generation Apple Watch, and I buy it in gold. I spend $12,000 for it or something astronomical. And um, the entry-level Apple Watch is $350. So... You go into the store in a year when they announce the new one and it's lighter, thinner, battery lasts twice as long, all that kind of stuff. So you go into the store. My theory is that the upgrade for your watch would be exactly the same cost as the entry-level watch. $350. So you go in and, um, and they swap out the internal components of your existing watch for $350. Like I don't I don't see why it would cost more than that because that's what the entry level watch is. Yeah, interesting concept. Or they it, could just it's be... it's a tough if if they don't sell at all like very few edition watches sell. I think they're going to be worth a lot more. Yeah, but, I mean, kind of like an Apple II, the first edition, or the I mean the first Apple. Yeah, the Apple One, made out of, I think it was made out of wood. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, this is a, Apple's a fun company to watch. What's the other thing we're looking at here? Oh, are you going to get one? Oh, I want to. I think it'd be really cool, just, you know, like the baseline one, for fitness tracking, mainly. The same, the same reason I'd get, you know, the Nike Java or whatever they're called that it would track fitness. And maybe you can even have it track your heart rate all day long. Yeah, I mean, and you can analyze that in certain ways. And maybe heart rate variability. I mean, there's all kinds of um, potential in this, especially for medical research. If you can upload that stuff and into a database. Oh, can you imagine handing over your Apple Watch data 
to your doctor? Yeah, or uploading it into these wide-scale studies where they do analysis. Like if you have a heart attack or something, maybe Apple Watch can save you. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't know. Actually, that's yeah. that could be one of the most profound things you've ever said in your entire life. <laughs> no, that's actually really cool. Like, what if you have this watch that can that can predict a heart attack and you you know and help you prevent a heart attack? That's what if there's an app on there that if your heart stops beating, it notifies a loved one? Yeah. That would cause some scary situations. You take it off for a couple minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody loses their mind. Yeah. Holy cow. That that I don't think anybody's actually talked about that. Like ever. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, I read a lot of articles and we should stop talking about it and write an app. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Uh, I wish I had the skills, the programming skills. <laughs> like, I, I wonder if. Oh man, if you could use that data, to. To import into, uh, shoot, if you could use that data to import import into an application, just expanding on what you already said, but. Like it, you know, it can it can take advantage of your heartbeat, and it could tell whether or not your blood pressure is high or low based on you know how fast your heart is beating. It could use statistics, um, and really kind of you know look for heart attacks, maybe even strokes, like all kinds of health problems. It could predict and maybe help you get medical medical attention before it happens or, you know, give you a couple extra minutes of lead time. Yeah, that would be interesting if your heart rate, and of course I, I don't have any background in medicine, but if your heart rate had some, heartbeat had some correlation to certain catastrophe, medical catastrophes. That would be incredible to find out. I mean, really, shoot, workout planning and stuff like that. I would buy, shoot, I would buy our dad an Apple Watch and get him a brand new Apple, uh -huh. you know, get him an iPhone 5 or better just, you know, just for stuff like that. If it had really good motion detection, I mean, it could sense you getting into an accident. It could, I mean, if it had a thermometer, it could sense the heat. Mm -hmm. If if you're in a, in a hot situation, um, it can sense, you know, sudden speed and then crashing your car. We Maybe. We can't be the only ones thinking this. <laughs> oh, definitely not, but... Um, well, if if anybody listening actually does something cool with this information or this thought process, or brainstorming, or whatever. If you do something cool, you know, cut us a check if you make a few million. Just a little bit, you know. <laughs> Put us in the credits. Uh, it's Jonathan Edwards and George Edwards, you know. <laughs> My address is, well, we'll hold off on that. But what else, I mean, do you think it could do that, like, it could sense what type of exercise you're doing by the motion you could be doing kettlebell swings. Uh, yeah. I don't know if it will sense tension in your arm, but 
See, I don't know. There's so many, like, it definitely has really good motion uh, detection. You know, the accelerometer has, like, the three-point accelerometer or three-point axis accelerometer and could be even a four-point. I, I, I don't know, but I know that, uh, shoot, even that's an idea, like, taking that motion sensing and writing an app that figures out, like, you know, are you doing this correctly or, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of, there's unbelievable potential for it. Then Apple TV is going to expand into gaming, probably. And you can use that as kind of like your Wii stick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually, you know, you know what? I, I think the future of the Apple Watch is way more than, way more than what we see right now. Yeah, imagine making... Uh, do developers make apps for Apple TV? No, no, not yet. Okay, well, if they if they ever made it, like, have an app store just like, you know, iPhone, then, I mean, you could just start making games for it and make it compatible with Apple Watch. That would be insane. I've never really thought it through like this. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, okay, yeah, you know, you got a watch that tells the time. It can give you navigation directions. It'll monitor your heartbeat while you're jogging. Great. You know, I don't work out that much as it is. So, I mean, the workout features weren't really a selling point. And first of all, your phone has all that in it anyway. Um, I, don't know if uh-huh. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, uh, have you messed around with the health app in your phone? Only a little bit. I usually use map my run for walks when I go out on a walk and I just want to see how far I'm walking. Yeah. Well, the phone, if you keep it in your pocket all day, um, which most people do, but the, the phone, uh, I mean, we opened up Paulette's yesterday and, and even mine uh, opened up the health app. It told her, and it's been tracking her for a couple months now, how many steps per day on average she's been taking. Um, yeah, I thought I, I activated that, but when I went in to check, it didn't really say anything. But can't you, if you tap your foot up and down while it's in your pocket, won't that give you extra steps? I don't know. That's a good... I've noticed on pedometers that does that, but if you're tracking via GPS, I'm not sure if uh, Matt My Run uses a hybrid or what, but if you track on GPS, it seems to be a little more accurate. Yeah, well, also with the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus, it tells how many flights of stairs you've gone, you've gone up and down. And it's, it's pretty accurate, too. Like, our house is two stories. And Paulette, with her iPhone 6, she'll go up and down the stairs a few times. And it'll tell her, like, you know, you've gone up and down. You, you've gone up, like, six or seven or eight flights of stairs. And it's pretty accurate. Okay, actually, I'm going into the health app, the walking and distance running. My daily average is 4.51. Today, it's 6.74. I know I've been up in my walking a lot. So I walked a good 6.74 miles today. Nice. Yeah, that's... I don't know, that's pretty cool stuff. 
uh, with the Apple Watch, it, it only just, it pretty much just gets more accurate. You yeah. Know, it increases your accuracy and it, and it tells you like heart rate levels and all that kind of stuff. Your, I think your iPhone is the thing that pretty much crunches all the numbers. Yeah, I was I was curious, like if you could use your, if the Apple Watch has GPS. I meant to look that up, but I didn't. It, it doesn't. No, it uses your phone's GPS. Oh, okay, because I was thinking it would be really cool if it had GPS, and not even a. I know it has to connect to your phone, but it doesn't have to connect to a cellular tower. But if it had GPS, just GPS, you could uh, leave your phone at home or leave it in the locker, lock it up, and go away from your phone, and it just tracks your location. And then when you get back, you can, you know, you don't have to have maps in your watch. When you get back, it can just like, you know, figure out where you went on the map based on GPS coordinates. Yeah, well, I think that'd that- be. I think that that's coming down the road in the future. Like right now, the phone is or the watch is really tethered to the phone. If you look about, like for example, the first generation iPhone, um, we've come a long way too. But like, like if you think about the first generation iPhone, it was tethered to your laptop. Like there was no downloading contacts or you know emails you could download, but uh, there was no contacts, bookmarks. Um, notes, all that stuff, even your calendar, you had to sync it up to your, to your laptop or your home computer every single time, um, you wanted that information to update. Uh Um, and the iPhone 3G and 3GS, it wasn't really to the iPhone 4. No, it was like the 3GS where contacts started, you know, downloading and, you know, you got more cloud-based stuff, and it started to be untethered. And then, like, iOS 5 or 6, maybe even iOS 4, I, I don't know. But it, it was down the road where, you know, now you can go out and buy an iPhone, and you don't need you don't even need to have a computer. Like, you could just have the iPhone, and everything's saved. You could upgrade to the next iPhone and just type in your new username and password, never have to plug it into a computer and everything's there that was already there before. So I think that's yeah. similar to what the watch is doing. And like right now it's tethered to your phone, but down the road as battery technology and processors and all that stuff gets better, it, it won't have to be on your phone anymore. Like there'll be a, they'll be able to spend that extra battery life on a new GPS for the watch itself, and they'll be able to put more components into it. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, so, you know, I think down the road, the Apple Watch is going to do more stuff. But even right now, what we were talking about before with the health and stuff, I mean, that's that's insane. Yeah, health, you know, tracking... <laughs> Uh, medical studies, heart rate variability. You know, Dave Asprey had a heart rate variability. He's the Bulletproof Executive from the Bulletproof Executive Podcast or Bulletproof Executive Radio. And he had one starting out, I think, with the iPhone 4 for us. Probably the iPhone 4. He used the camera sensor. Some sensor in the camera 
to detect heart rate. Oh, and, which, yeah. Which is pretty cool, but nothing compared to what the Apple Watch can do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at least right now, 12 hours a day. You know, I, I don't know how long it'll actually record your heartbeat, but if it, if it, if you, if they have it where it could record your heartbeat all day long, um, that would give unbelievable amounts of data to medical professionals and and researchers. Like that's yeah, you just, can even do sleep studies if you choose to charge it in the day and then you know wear it at night. Yeah. Yeah, with the accelerometer, heart rate monitor, all that kind of stuff. That I mean, that would really. I don't know. Maybe but, maybe I do want one. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I I bet you if someone worked in a hospital, well, yeah, you can monitor your sleep all night long and see where your trouble spots are, or what what's going on. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. But I bet you someone who works in like a doctor, or something would have a lot of good ideas for how you can use both your iPhone and your your watch together to collect data on yourself just so you can analyze it. I mean, and to improve your life, which I think is is pretty cool. So we we got to we got to pair up a really good developer with a really good doctor. The digital crown and the Oh, I forget what they call that. The digital crown and that force touch thing. I guess there's there's not a heck of a lot. I mean, we could probably brainstorm and come up with a billion cool things. Um, just like you did with the heart rate monitor. But uh digital crown is kind of kind of awesome. Did did you read about that or watch the video about it? The digital crown is it? You don't actually have to move the the crown. No, no, no. You you move the crown, but it, it doesn't it doesn't wind your watch. You know what I mean? Like it does in traditional watches. They have the crown on the watch. It's one of the staples. It, yeah. It doesn't change the time or wind it up or anything. But uh, at the same time, it it's it, it's kind of brilliant. So instead of pinching to zoom and stuff like that. You just use the little thing on the side. And I think it's just little details like that. It, it might not be much. In, in a year from now, everybody will be copying it. Well, Samsung came out with a few watches already, so it's not going to be too obvious. Yeah, it's obviously if not Samsung that. going to develop it. It's obviously not obvious right now. Um, but... But in the future, people are like, you know, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, you know, how can you patent, you know, a digital crown, something that zooms in and out on your on your watch? And, you know, the same as they're like, you know, how can you patent a touchscreen rectangular phone with applications on it? Or uh, multi-touch. Or multi-touch, yeah. You're like, oh, sure, it existed before, but nobody even even tried to, to do something as... Like the, I mean, I don't know. Without getting into the history of iPhones and what came before, just go and watch the 2000, 2007 presentation, the keynote presentation, the introduction of the iPhone, and you, Steve Jobs does a really good job showing you what what existed right then, 
and what Apple was releasing, and it's insane. The yeah. Difference. What were the best phones out when the iPhone came out? Oh, it was like the the Samsung Blackjack, uh, the BlackBerry, uh, BlackBerry Curve, and yeah, more. You know, they had the Pearl out, which had that. And what phone did you have when you walked in to get your first iPhone? Um, I had a. I had the Blackjack 2. Blackjack 2. <laughs> yeah. I can't even... I have no idea how I even used it. Like, they were pretty much interchangeable with flip phones. It, I was really... I remember at that time that I, I was really, like, psyched about my about my Blackjack 2 because, like, I could check my email on it. Even though I, back uh-huh. then, I didn't even really get email back then. Yeah, like nobody emailed me. It was just a bunch of spam, but I could check it. You know, I could, you know, I can go onto a website and, uh, you know, it took me about five, six minutes to actually get to the website and look at it. And, and then, yeah, it, those were dark days. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the best phone I had before I had an iPhone was Sony Ericsson. Oh, T-Mobile. he's. I used to love the Sony Ericsson's. And I, I put music on there and everything. I think it's a little easier to put music you download from the internet onto a Sony Ericsson than it is to put it into iTunes and then upload it into your phone. Because it seems to change all the time for iTunes and Apple. And then, of course, you can't keep it with your next generation phone automatically. You can only keep what you purchased. Yeah. The, the Stuff you upload automatically doesn't transfer. You have to re-upload it. Yeah, that that was that, that's always frustrating. Owning your own music and owning an iPhone is frustrating. Um, uh-huh. Unless you keep the same computer for years and years and years. I mean, that's why I I use Spotify. Screw it, ten dollars a month, I'm good to go. So now's a good time to take a break. Um, just take a second here to thank NEPA Geeks for sponsoring this podcast. They provide data backup and recovery, uh, network setup, web hosting, web design, IT solutions. Uh, they do a lot of iPhone, Android repair here in northeastern Pennsylvania. But, uh, of course, you can get your web hosting, web design, and stuff like that done no matter where you are. So that's Geeks. Dot com. You can take a look at them um, and pretty much check them out from anywhere and see what they might have to offer you. Anyway, nepageeks.com, northeasternpennsylvaniageeks.com. So moving on, um, one, we never introduced ourselves. So That's true. Um, I'll go ahead and... When we're done talking about the Tesla versus the Volt versus Elio, when we're done talking about that, we'll uh, we'll we'll go ahead and record a quick intro. Uh, you know, I'll pause it, and we'll record a quick introduction of ourselves. Okay. Um. So for anyone listening right now, I'm probably not going to cut this part out, but uh, you probably didn't even know that we didn't introduce ourselves because we. You remember us introducing, but when we originally recorded this, we did not introduce ourselves. We just jumped right into it, 
And yeah, welcome to our podcast. My name is Jonathan Edwards, and you know my my brother George Edwards, but he doesn't really matter. So let's talk about Tesla. <laughs> Tesla. The cool thing about Tesla, and uh, you know, I didn't really look at the other cars, but I'll leave that for you. It is the autopilot that's coming out on it? It has a forward radar, twelve long range ultrasonic sensors positioned to send 16 feet around the car in every direction at all speeds a forward-looking camera and a high precision digitally controlled electric assist to braking system and well they, they they warn people that their goal with the car is not to have a self-driving car that's years away they're saying our goal with this with the introduction of the new hardware and software is not to enable driverless cars, which are still years away from becoming reality. Our system is called autopilot because it's similar to systems that pilots use to increase comfort and safety. When the conditions are clear, Tesla's autopilot is a way to relieve drivers of the most boring and potentially dangerous aspects of road travel. But the driver is still responsible for and ultimately in control of the car. Which seems really cool. Yeah. Uh, you, you know what? I wanted to... I'm sure people... I'm curious if people are going to abuse this, though, and actually, you know, stop paying attention. Well, that's one of the things that I like about Tesla trying to do their own dealerships is so that their their people are way more educated than, you know, the average salesperson who's trying to make the, his commission. Um and just telling, yeah, you know, this thing has autopilot. Go ahead, drive it as long as you want, whatever. You know, just drive through New York City with on autopilot. Um, you know, buy this car because that's autopilot. But no, what I like about Tesla doing their own dealerships is that their salespeople and they're are really educated and able to get into more detail and explain to them, like, look, buddy, you can't you can't just start your car up and say go to work and it'll drive you to work. You know, here's here's the yeah. the dangers and benefits of this. Um, but I, I I they have that variable speed cruise control in a lot of cars now that I've been dying to get. Like I, I really want one. In my next car, I'm gonna have something similar to autopilot, but probably can't spend a hundred grand on a Tesla, so I'll get variable speed cruise control. And it's awesome because it has the radar and the camera. It tells how far away the car is in front of you, and it'll adjust your cruise control speed to match and keep you a certain amount of car length behind that car in front of you. But uh, I think autopilot's way more advanced. I wonder if they're going to make the hardware and software upgradable in the future to be uh, driverless or... If it's going to only be their autopilot function, which is cool, cool enough. I mean, very cool. I, I can't imagine having a car like that. What does it control or, the steering you know, wheel? I think you can literally take your hands off the wheels because it knows where you are in the road. It knows where the it reads speed signs and it and you know markers road uh, paint. So it could keep you in the lines and everything. That's why it's called autopilot as opposed to cruise control. 
Huh. Where it, not, it doesn't have just variable cruise control where it notices it's coming up on something and it slows down. Has you could take you could probably I'm, I'm thinking from what I read take your hands off the wheel and just let it drive, but it's, it has the wording you are ultimately in, you're responsible for and ultimately in control of the car. Huh. So it's not alleviating responsibility, though. I'm sure they're going to go through a whole lot of. I mean, every car company does. Well, if there's an accident, and accidents are inevitable. But yeah, they're going to make some case law. You know, there's going to be some asshole with a cheeseburger in his hand trying to shave and, you know, put his tie on at the same time. Exactly, so, but I think. Uh, Generally, if you're driving down a road in the desert or something like that, you may not even have to keep your hands on the wheel. You can, I don't know what it's what kind of habits are going to be developed by people who have this, but they're expensive cars, so I guess relatively responsible people will buy them. True, true. Um I think uh, they're the the fact that they're expensive though. Uh, I mean, they they gotta bring their cars down to, they gotta come out with a model. In my opinion, that's like thirty thousand or around thirty thousand, you know, twenty five to thirty thousand. Or I just don't think they're gonna they're gonna really make it. I I don't know. I don't really know the car market. <laughs> like, but. These machines are pretty nice. They're 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 unbelievable. Two hundred and seventy mile range uh, on an all electric car, and I don't know. This, I guess charge. I guess these cars are good for a whole other episode. But I mean, we're looking at. Uh, but I mean, is it worth spending a hundred thousand dollars on that car, or seventy seven thousand dollars at the very least? On an all-electric car, and that gives you like two hundred and ten thousand or two hundred and ten miles, but uh, seventy-seven thousand miles dollars as the the base price. When you got things like the Chevy Volt, starts at twenty-six thousand, uh, gives you thirty-eight miles on electric range, and I know that'll get me to work and back, and then some. And uh, and like the Elio, which doesn't have any electric at all, but is sixty-four hundred dollars for. For a car that gives you 86 miles to the gallon. Oh, yeah. Price-wise, they totally have Tesla beat. But I think Tesla's coming out with features that have never been seen before. Like dual engines, one on each wheel. Yeah, it's it's completely awesome. Um, but, I mean, like at, at $100,000 average price for a Tesla, I mean, you're looking at, like, all these, you know... I guess there are better words or phrases, but tree hugger movie stars that are buying these cars talking about how green they are. And somebody <laughs> like me or you, we're just not going to be able to ever afford to buy one of these. I mean, I mean, really, am I going to buy a Tesla for a hundred thousand dollars or am I going to spend $60,000 on a BMW M3, which is arguably a better car well, it depends on how many commercials Jason sponsors. True, true. Um, again, thanks, NEPA geeks. Uh, <laughs> but uh, 
Yeah, that's that's true. We'll have to talk to Jason see if he could just you know I'll, I'll let him get a couple episodes, free sponsorship, buy me a Tesla, <laughs> or a BMW M3. You know, I'll let him save some money. Get me the M3. Um, go nuts! Spend eighty thousand dollars on a BMW M5. I mean, you the these like at hundred thousand dollars, you're gonna you either. You have a lot of money to spend, and you really want an electric car for the sake of having an electric car and going from zero to 60 in 3.2 seconds. Yeah, great. Um, or you just don't buy one. You buy something else. Like, that's $100,000. That's a lot of money. You know, yeah, people that's, who. That's a lot of money. People who make $100,000 a year. Well, they took a whole year to make that hundred thousand dollars. It's twelve months, three hundred sixty-five days it took them to get that hundred thousand dollars. And if they wanted to spend every penny of what they earned on a car, they could buy a Tesla. If money weren't an issue, of course, I'd get a Tesla and I'd get it over other similar priced cars. I'm thinking. Maybe I, maybe I wouldn't once I started browsing cars because I've never browsed cars in that price range. But I would probably get a Tesla because I like Elon Musk. Yeah, and he's, I like what he's doing. I think, I think right now the more reasonable option. I mean, well, one the Volt at thirty thousand dollars or twenty six thousand dollars, whatever it is, to start. The Chevy Volt is a way more reasonable vehicle if you want to try to be green because most people don't live more than more than 20 miles from work. So a 38 mile range is awesome. Um, well, honestly at that, like eight or $9,000 for a vehicle. And I know one of those are in that price range. I'll just get a used car. Yeah. But I mean, the, the third one that I, that I was, that I had listed here was the Elio. And they're a brand-new manufacturer based in the United States, and they're going to start selling their cars next year. It's a two-seater car, three wheels, all enclosed, obviously. This is a car. It only has one door, which is kind of cool. Um, $6,400. Brand-new in-box. Might have to pay extra for the box. If you go on a long... Uh, well, tricycles have the tendency to hit every bump of the road you can't really swerve and miss one you have to one of those tires is going to hit it if it's in tricycle form yeah but at the That's same the only... you know the the one wheel is in the back and two wheels in the front i, I mean yeah you, you hit a few bumps but I, I i'll take you know i'll take a few potholes head on for sixty four hundred dollars i mean that's a full ninety five thousand dollars or ninety three thousand dollars less than the tesla well unless you get a bare bones tesla well yeah still it's you know is that still seventy thousand less than the entry-level tesla um i could buy literally 12 or 13 elios for the cost of one tesla yeah <laughs> 86 miles to the gallon for these things too No matter which one you buy, how do people go around charging those things if they go on long-distance trips? Well, Tesla's doing something cool. Well, first of all, the Chevy Volt has a gas motor, too, so you don't have to worry about long-distance trips. Um, uh -huh. 
the Tesla, they, they have these supercharger stations which take about half an hour to 45 minutes. Um, so you can stop, grab some lunch, plug it in, and it'll be charged up in about half an hour. But uh, rumor has it, and not rumor, Tesla's announced this, they're, um, they're going to have stations soon that uh, you pull your car up, it'll lift your car up, take the battery out, put a new one in, and you can keep on going for another 250 miles. Um, and they say cool. that they've gotten it fast enough, they've gotten the swapping fast enough where it actually, it's faster than um, getting a tank of gas. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, and I think a better place, a uh, company over in Europe, they went out of business, or they went bankrupt a couple years back, but it's called A Better Place. I think Tesla got that um, that technology from them. They they were advertising that a lot. You could charge it, or they'd have their gas stations or battery stations where you could swap out the batteries real fast. It was really neat. Um, yeah, Tesla has a lot of different warranties on their batteries. They're they're all kind of cool, but when you swap out the batteries, you, you know, you obviously pay a fee and stuff like that. Um, I was speculating with with Jason from NEPA Geeks a couple days ago about the Tesla's battery swapping technology. I mean, they they probably run a quick diagnostic on your battery before they swap it out just to make sure it's still good. Otherwise, you might have to pay a bigger fee. Yeah, that's true, but what if you swapped it out recently and then they run a diagnostic? There's, I'm sure they... Once you start swapping, you can't be stopping. <laughs> Oh jeez. Um, but I think the best value, unless you unless you want a four door sedan, which most people do want, uh, the Elio is a crazy good value. I mean, it's American made, so you can you know be happy about that. Uh, it's sixty four hundred dollars. So like, if we didn't have any other money to spend this year, like we're we're me and my wife are planning on paying a few bills, buying a couple things, but, you know, if we didn't have, all things considered, if we, we're getting our tax return, which is right around that amount. I mean, I could buy a car with my tax return, and that's, that's crazy. A yeah. brand new car, like brand new. And then fill up once a month. Do you want to wrap it up here? Yeah, I think I think this is a good time to just um, call it an episode. 